0: Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back from all the crazy traveling I've been doing the past week and a half. I spent several days out in Wisconsin for the Metaphysical and Paranormal Expo. That was fantastic, Janesville, Wisconsin. And then turned right around after I got home, headed out to New York City for filming of a television show. And so... One of the things, I'm I'm not even going to really mask it. I just won't say the name of the show for now. I'm not even going to mask it. Uh, we're, we're talking about triangle areas of the world. What I find funny about it is that the name of the episode is going to be called Beyond the Bermuda Triangle. And okay, the, the video that I just posted as the primer for this uh, interactive class was my video from a couple of years ago called Beyond the Bermuda Triangle. And so basically what it is, is the uh, triangle areas of the world. There's more than just the Bermuda Triangle. And so we're gonna, uh, going to be getting into that topic this evening as far as what these different triangles are. And so I threw out the class question for this evening uh, that I posted. And if, and if anybody posted anything here within like the last hour, I didn't see it. Uh, class question was, what triangle-related mystery would you like to see solved? Sarah Yusuf responded to that. Uh, she says, triangles are one of the most basic of figures. What if triangles are not triangles, but part of a face of a complicated multidimensional figure? Depending on the criteria you're using the map points, um, there could be a lot that could be potentially missed. Okay, so you have the, uh, the three-dimensional object tetrahedron, so... You know, you basically, um, it's kind of a, it's a, what, a pyramid on top of a pyramid sort of a thing. So you have that, which is supposed to be one of those very esoteric symbols. Of course, we have the pyramids, which are all triangular in each side, except the base, which is a square. Uh, So you have a lot of these different um, types of geometrical shapes. We're not going to get into sacred, sacred geometry in this particular episode we should do that one of these days um you know maybe maybe next week or something like that or a couple weeks down the road because i have to get some of that material together uh very very fascinating when we start talking about uh sacred geometry and what those mean as far as our ancient symbolism esoteric knowledge mystery schools all that stuff um not this evening though when it comes to the triangle areas of the world um, they're not really triangles. Okay. That's, it's really a misnomer. It's one of those things where somebody, how long ago was that now? Um, 60, 70 years ago when, uh, the, the term was coined, it was just good branding. You know, here's an area of the globe that has a lot of this strange phenomenon happening. When you're looking at the map. Okay. What are kind of like three of the biggest points on the map when you're looking at it? Let me, let me toss up the, uh, yes, Tom, we will be talking about Michigan, uh, triangle here, a uh, little bit later, but we will be talking about it. So let me bring up the map of the Bermuda triangle. So when you're looking at this area that has had this strange phenomenon happening within it kind of three of the biggest points are miami florida you got a big city there you have san juan puerto rico another big city and then up in the northern point well you have this very beautiful island of bermuda so those become your three points and it just is like i said good branding bermuda triangle but Things happen, it's more of like a, it's really more of a circle. So like with my Alaska Triangle book, I've had some critics, had one recently there talk about the, um, uh, that the book was too conversational. That uh, and then when they got to the the shadow People and all that, uh, they were saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm I like fringe science, but you know, just the way it's written, and it was very conversational tone. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to be throwing a bunch of, you know, scientific terms way the heck over people's heads that you know, I, you know, somebody's not going to understand reading it except for maybe, you know five percent of the people that do. You know, we, we want people to be able to understand this knowledge so they can take it with them and pass it on. That's the whole idea. Um, But I've had other criticism talk about, well, you know, he, he mentions an incident over here that's actually outside of the quote-unquote triangle or an incident over here that's outside of the quote-unquote triangle. Yeah, because the pho- phenomena just isn't confined to this one little triangle. It extends out. It is more of more of a circle which makes a lot of sense as we start talking about the vortex energy that wells up from the earth's magnetic core to spawn off uh that, that creates these vortices that spawns off portals and other strange phenomena now this activity will happen all over you know it's not just you know every point is in like the little circle or triangle and that's it it never extends outward. it happens all over but it seems more concentrated within these areas so you have more of it happening within these areas and again it's more like a circle so uh note though for those that are listening to the podcast later on i'm going to be talking about a lot of different photos and slides and maps and things like that and that is because we broadcast this live wednesday nights eight o'clock p.m eastern time connected universe where you get the full uh, slideshow uh, all the uh, presentation is going to be a video clip here this evening. You get to ask questions and chime in, and all of those wonderful things. So, please join us, connecteduniverseportal.com, live on Wednesday nights. But we do appreciate those that are listening later uh, on the various on uh, various podcasting platforms or radio networks like the OnX Network, uh, KPNL, KGRA spotify iheartradio all those locations thank you very much so all right all of that said so let's get into this idea of um of vortex energy uh you know what are these what are these different things these vortices that we're talking about these well people will call them ley lines trying to bring up my notes if they would show up here here we go <laughs> okay so like i was saying when we're talking about this type of energy you question what what are energy vortices you know what why are they occurring in these triangle areas so um, again the vortices are basically that welling up of the earth's magnetic core and as it's passing through the you know the earth's mantle and then up into the crust it's passing through a lot of different minerals, metals in Bermuda, uh, the Bermuda Triangle. It's passing through water. In other areas, uh, we'll see water involved in some of them, but it's you know a bit of a different type of water. So these things, you know, factor into uh, into the energy that is that is coming up out of the ground, and you know, magnetic energy interacts with metals and minerals and things like that differently. So these areas have a special geological phenomenon, which is interacting with that magnetism to create these different things. So, like with the Alaska Triangle, the US Department of the Interior in 1965 did a large survey, not the entire state, about a sixth of it. Uh, The state of Alaska is over 600,000 square miles in size. And they surveyed about 100,000, but yet they found what they called um, five different magnetic characters within this region. And some of these characteristics were described as, quote unquote, negative anomalies. So they knew that this was a very strange magnetic area on the earth. So the same thing uh, with areas like the Bermuda Triangle. Dragon Triangle. We'll talk about we'll talk about Lake Michigan there, Tom, and other areas. There are unusual properties within these areas. There are some people, in, and this one has come to light here recently, at least for me, and maybe others have heard this one for a while, but a little bit newer for me. Um, I don't know everything, but some people believe that there is a large crystal under the Bermuda Triangle. I guess there are some people that believe that the the core of the earth, rather than being molten iron, which would create the, um, which would create the magnetism, by the way, the rotating spinning um, metal for a core. Some people believe it's a crystal and that where um, the Bermuda Triangle is, is a you know fractured off part of this crystal. Don't know if I really buy into that um, because we've had a lot of scientific research already into, into the earth's core what that is actually made of. Um, and it is, you know, rotating metal, which makes a lot of sense for the way the earth's magnetism works, the way it expands out, protects our planet, and also creates these different electric currents throughout the planet itself. Um, you know, that's why we're able to tap into the ground to get a little bit of a charge. You know, that's what Tesla was was gunning for when he was building his towers. Um, you know, that's, this is what the ancients, when they would build their stone circles, would try to tap into is that earth energy, the uh, taluric the currents uh, that are running through the earth. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people refer to the ley lines and the ley lines actually are not the current themselves. They're not the charge what the what the ley lines are basically the and we've talked about this before are the lining up of uh of terrestrial locations like the stone circles like the pyramids like temples and cathedrals and things like this they all line up in a very succinct pattern that creates a line but the reason why they were built on top of those locations is because the ancients knew that the energy was there and we're going to tap into that energy and be able to use it for um you know for healing powers, for altered states of consciousness, uh, for you know, some people believed in the they were tapping into stargates and portals or you know, creating these different things, you know, with this technology. Um, we lost that over time. Now, when it comes to some of the more modern structures like cathedrals and, and what have you, um, you're like, well, okay, they you know they weren't trying to conjure up stargates and, and things like that there not necessarily you know um you know building the cathedral for entering altered states of consciousness or were they because many of those cathedrals like out in Europe the UK they were built on ancient sites of power they were built on top of ancient temples which were built on top of things like stone circles and they kept building and building and building um the newer cultures that they would come in they saw this as a holy site one knowing it possessed some sort of power that you know the previous culture was using secondly well we want to stamp them out so we're going to take their holy site and build our holy site on top of it so there's a bit of that going on too and this is where they would you know harness that energy so this is what's going on in these triangle areas of the world this is that energy that is there so let's get into some of these. Now we start talking about Bermuda. So we'll start with the big one, Bermuda Triangle. It's what everybody um, usually points to. In fact, when you know I, I do interviews and have conversations about the Alaska Triangle, I always end up having to bring up Bermuda because people will say, wait, uh, triangle in Alaska. You mean that's like Bermuda? And yes, it's like Bermuda. In fact, um, some people... In the past have called it Alaska's Bermuda Triangle, which is silly, but it's kind of like saying that the uh, Lake Iliamna monster is Alaska's Loch Ness monster. It's like the Loch Ness being in Scotland, And Italy is probably older than Nessie and who knows in any case. So Bermuda Triangle, we already defined the boundaries for it. So interestingly enough, the reported Strangeness in this area actually goes all the way back to Christopher Columbus. Yes, these are our earliest reports of strange phenomena in the area. So he's sailing through there in 1492. And out of the sky one night, this is in his logs, his admiral logs, that there was a marvelous sheet of fire that came screaming out of the sky and crashed into the ocean. Now, this may have just been a meteor, of course, but there are other things that continued to happen, such as very, very unusual compass readings. His compass was going crazy sailing through this area. Also, he described, uh, well, some people called it dancing lights on the water. The way he described it were like small wax candles that would rise and lower. Uh, so they would raise up into the night sky and then they would lower back down into the ocean. So, very, very strange light phenomena that was happening there as well. So, fast forward some time. You know, it wasn't known as the Bermuda Triangle back then. Uh, it was, you know, just a just a stretch of uh, ocean there for a while. But fast forward uh, to the USS Cyclops. Now, this is a little bit more of a modern tale uh, going back to 1918. And this ship went completely missing. It had a crew of 309, left Barbados, was traveling through the area that we now call the Bermuda Triangle, carrying magnet. Uh, manganese ore and just disappeared completely missing what's also interesting um, which is kind of more of like a side note is that its two sister ships were also lost and went missing while carrying metallic ore but it was years later and it was in the north atlantic during world war ii so the ships related, were related to the Cyclops, but they did not disappear within the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, now, the fact that it was carrying manganese ore, if you're having these strange energetic anomalies rise up out of the ocean and affect different things, like navigation, uh, guidance systems, things like that, compasses, did that, I mean, we talked about it earlier. As that energy wells up out of the ground, it passes through the different metals and minerals. Well, so it's already doing that. Passes through the water, hits this ship carrying all of this metallic ore. Did that just amplify the effects of the Bermuda Triangle? Certainly possible. Now, I won't throw a caveat out here. We do sail into the Bermuda Triangle these days. I've done so. Um, Millions of others have done so as well. Our our cruise ships go through the area. And so, in most cases, travel is fine. Ships pass through, planes pass through, perfectly fine. Same with, you know, know, same with all these different triangle areas. But... Accidents happen, people and things go missing, and it's within these areas where that seems to happen more often. So it's not like a guaranteed, oh, you're sailing through the Bermuda Triangle, you're going to disappear. No. Um, But you have a greater chance of it in that area than other locations in the world. So moving on. Probably the most famous of all of these different disappearances is Flight 19. Uh, these poor pilots here. So flight Flight 19 was a squadron of five torpedo bombers. They were on a training run. Uh, this was in December 1945, and they were taking off from Fort Lauderdale. Now they're called Flight 19 because they're the ninth, nineteenth flight of the day. They'd already run 18 of these training runs beforehand. So, like I said, you know, others are flying through it just fine. But this one met with some ill fate. So it takes off, headed due east from Fort Lauderdale into what we call the Bermuda Triangle. First leg of the run was perfectly fine, went off without a hitch. So an interesting thing about this run is that it was in the shape of a triangle. So they were going from Fort Lauderdale to their point uh, out east, then back, then up north, and then back down south to Fort Lauderdale. So they finish that first leg, start heading north, and all of a sudden their compasses start going berserk. You know their, their navigation and guidance is all kind of wacky because the compasses are just a mess. As this is happening, all of a sudden a storm kicks up out of nowhere. So they're trapped in this storm. They're getting pelted with rain. The wind is gusting. They're still staying in contact with base at this point. Uh, and their compasses are are going nuts. So they're trying to figure out, okay, wh- where are we? Because we can't tell with our, our electronics are all kind of screwy right now. We, we're not really sure where we're at. Guys are looking down, uh, into the ocean and they're noticing the islands. One guy thought that they were near the Florida keys. Now the Florida keys is in the complete opposite direction of where they're headed. So, how are they seeing something like the Florida Keys? That's bizarre. They decide that they're going to go ahead and um, you know, they're they're making preparations to, to crash into the ocean, make a water landing and, and ride that out. Never heard from again. That's all we know. They're they're preparing for a possible water landing, never heard from again, never seen again. So What's even more bizarre after that is the search and rescue. So several planes go out. Um, These are mariner floating planes. So, you know, the the planes that can land uh, on the water and they take off. Well, there was one headed north. It was about two hours out and all of a sudden, poof, contact is lost with the plane. There's a freighter nearby in the area where it was supposed to have last been at. And they say that they saw a ball of fire drop out of the sky and into the ocean. So they go over there, check it out, and they see debris and oil on the ocean. They radio that information back. They take off. And one of the other search and rescue planes comes in, another Mariner floating plane to the location that the freighter had reported, they find nothing. No debris, no oil slick, no ball of fire, completely gone. So, here's a search and rescue plane that we think exploded in the sky, but there's no evidence of it because it's never been found. So, very, very bizarre day in what we call the Bermuda Triangle. And this is the this is like the granddaddy of all of the triangle tales. It's not the oldest, though. Um, we'll get to the oldest here in a little bit. That would be the the Dragon Triangle. Um, but, well, and Tom, your Lake Michigan Triangle may be older than that, too. So, like I said, we'll get to that here uh, shortly. Grab we'll a little sip of coffee here as we move on. I don't want to linger on, too, on any uh, one triangle too long because we have several to hit. So, and there's Victoria. Victoria, I didn't think you're going to make it this evening. Um, fantastic. Victoria's been getting a lot of interviews lately, so very good, my friend. Okay, so that's Bermuda. Uh, Also, just a a little side note uh, with that, the Bimini Road Road is also there. I'm not going to get too deep into that because that takes us into like legends of Atlantis. Um, Scientists say that this is a natural geological feature, but we've also seen ancient maps that show an island in that vicinity with a feature on it that looks like the Bimini Road so may not be atlantis but it looks like it looks like a man-made feature to me some kind of wall or structure or what have you so i don't think atlantis but some sort of human design probably in in my personal opinion all right let's hit the alaska triangle here real quick that's a, that's the triangle shot from the the television show the alaska triangle and if you've not seen it podcast listeners later on, please go watch and support the Alaska Triangle television show on Travel Channel. You can also watch on Discovery Plus. But let's take a look at the map, the real map here. So basically, Alaska Triangle stretches from Juneau in the south, Anchorage is in the middle, and the very, very top is Yukiadvik, which used to be known as Barrow. They changed it back to the native Inuit name. A very, very large stretch of land here. Um, I really couldn't tell you the size. When I was on Jimmy Church's show uh, back in November, uh, somebody threw out the number, I think it was 138,000 square miles, but this is much, much bigger uh, than that. One of these days I'll actually, you know, toss it up there and and do an accurate measurement so I can recite that number. But, you know, considering we've already discussed that um, Alaska is, uh, you know, 600 and some odd thousand square miles. This is taking up at least a third of it. So it's it's much bigger than the 138 or whatever they it tried to say. Um, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and play a video clip here for you guys. So next month, I'm going to be in Boulder, Colorado, filming with uh, Gaia TV, uh, George Norris Beyond Belief. We're going to be talking about the Alaska Triangle. They had me send them some different video clips. And this is one that uh, it's basically from that uh, Beyond the Bermuda Triangle video that is on YouTube that I did a couple years ago. So I I clipped that and sent this to them as a uh, kind of like a little preview of uh, what we're going to be discussing on that show. The Alaska Triangle is an area of Alaska from Juneau to Anchorage to Barrow which is known for strange disappearances, anomalies, and supernatural activity. In any given year, 500 to 2,000 people go missing in Alaska, and a total of 16,000 since 1988. Like the Bermuda Triangle, the Alaska Triangle seems to harness the Earth's energy grid to create a vortex of mystery and a possible portal into another dimension, affecting planes, boats, people, and more. I've appeared on a handful of episodes of the Alaska Triangle and the show covered a number of strange occurrences and disappearances including missing airplanes and ships, UFO sightings, paranormal activity, and cryptid sightings. The missing Douglas story is particularly interesting. This was a Douglas C-54D airplane which took off from Elmendorf Air Force Base in January 1950 and disappeared without a trace. The weather called for mostly clear skies, and there was no reason to suspect anything was wrong with its final radio contact at 109 p.m. However, at the very edge of the Alaska Triangle near Snag in Yukon Territory, Canada, it disappeared. No wreckage or survivors were ever found. During the search operation, cryptic radio messages were received, but it was difficult to discern the message they were trying to convey. Many believe these messages were from the crew of the missing Douglas C-54D. Yet, just as quickly as a transmission started, they stopped. If the plane had slipped into a portal into another dimension, could those messages have been transmitting back through the portal since sound travels on a different wavelength and frequency than light? Even when I lived in Alaska during the early to mid-1990s, crazy activity happened when an engine fell off an airplane taking off from the Anchorage airport. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But local citizens were shocked when the engine crashed into the parking lot of a local supermarket and the shrapnel fell into people's homes. And then back over here in the back of the, fortunately in the back of the parking lot, nobody was hurt. That's where the engine fell. Of course, the most notorious Alaska Triangle disappearance is that of the airplane carrying U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs, Alaska Congressman Nick Begich, aide Russell Brown, and pilot Don Johns in 1972. In an effort that's been an area of 325,000 square miles and more than 3,600 hours of search time, nothing was ever found. See, and just that in the clip right there where they're talking, you know, they, me, <laughs> but over 300,000 square miles in the search for those two. Um, and that's just from Anchorage to Juneau. Of course, they widened that a bit in case it went out to the ocean some of the different mountains in Canada, that sort of thing, um, that's still a wide, uh, a wide berth. And I know uh, when we do that interview, because we went, you know, three different uh, stories with planes, George is going to be like, so Mike, what's going on with these planes up there? And, uh, you know, and really it really comes back down to this this strange electromagnetism that's up there. And in uh, Alaska, it's, it's more prevalent because not only do you have, you know, what we've been talking about with that you know, energy coming up from the Earth's magnetic core, you know, and it's passing through these different rocks. And I mentioned earlier uh, that the, uh, the U.S. Department of the Interior did that survey and they found those different strange magnetic properties up there. So that magnetism is seeping through these different strange rock formations to create these negative anomalies mixed in uh, with the uh, seismic activity up there is a lot of earthquakes up there, including the largest in US history, 9.2 in 1964, the second largest ever in the world that's been recorded. Uh, but they get a lot of earthquakes up there all the time. Um, there were several when I was up there, I was only up there for three years. The biggest was uh, a 6.5, and it sounded like a cannon going off. You know, I was in, I was in the military in my dorm room at the time and it sounded like an explosion, and I'm, um, you know, sitting up in bed, you know, this is 1992, the, the Cold War had just ended, you know, a uh, nation just across, you know, the sea, the former USSR was still there, and it's close enough that it's like, oh, there's something going on, but it turned out to be an earthquake. Uh, you know, there's also uh, a lot of volcanic activity up there. Again, when I, uh, you know, jumped off the plane in 1992, Mount Spur across the Cook Inlet had just recently erupted and ash was still falling out of the sky. Um, There's a chain of volcanoes in the Aleutian Islands that they, for a long time, they thought that they were separate volcanoes, you know, in in an active area of the world. But scientists just recently here in 2020 uh, have deduced that no, they're actually part of an ancient caldera that is lying slumbering under the water. Uh, caldera is a you know, large super volcano. So um when people talk about the caldera at Yellowstone and when that blew up, you know, thousands and thousands of square miles, it just, you know, blotted out the sky, dropped ash and, and all of that. That's, kind of, that's what we're talking about there in Alaska uh, under the Aleutian Islands, or at least that part of the chain. Aleutians stretch really far. Um, but under that chain, you have this ancient caldera. So you have a lot of this volcanic activity that's going on up there too. So you have energy, 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 and it's making this very unique kind of cocktail, seismic, volcanic, magnetic. And then you have the solar energy from the Aurora Borealis that's you know, bearing down on the area as well. So this is um, an area of the world where the magnetic shield for the planet is a little bit thinner. And... Uh, when those solar flares hit the planet, they light up those different auroras. That's you know what the aurora borealis is. And so, with the thinner magnetic protection, you know, you have more of that energy also seeping into the atmosphere. So it's it's just a, a magnificent cocktail of energy, and that's why we're getting a lot of these uh, this different activity between. Uh, missing planes, strange shipwrecks, ghost ships, uh UFO sightings, cryptid encounters, paranormal activity, shadow people. All of this stuff is happening up there uh very, very prominently. And for Victoria, your woolly mammoths as as well. I uh, had to throw that out there. And hey, maybe you're you're hallowed earth too, because um, you know, Mount Hayes is supposed to have the the black pyramid up there, which is an underground pyramid in some sort of large cavern or what have you supposed to be made of a very solid black stone uh, that possibly could have been used as a, a power plant in the past. We don't know. Uh, it's it's very, very speculative because we don't have any physical evidence of it. It's all anecdotal. So um, that's the Alaska Triangle. I want to move on to some others here because I've talked about the Alaska Triangle at length uh, in, in other classes, we did an entire Alaska triangle class. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. All right. We do have some comments down here. Uh, Mary Haygood's in the house. Hey, great to see you, Mary. Um, and yeah, there you go. There's your woolly mammoths, Victoria. All right. And, uh, Tom, uh, yes, you can buy the Alaska triangle on Voodoo. and He owns all the seasons. Fantastic. I haven't heard yet about a third season yet. Fingers crossed. Um, You know, also the uh, ancient aliens, we need them to pick up another season of ancient aliens as well. That would be very helpful. Okay, so next up in our plethora of triangle areas of the world, what do I have on tap here next? I think it's the Bridgewater Triangle. Okay, here we go. Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, This is in Massachusetts. Uh, so kind of in my old neck of the woods. Actually, I was in the western part of the state. So, uh, you know, where you see the left side of the map there, you kind of see the Connecticut River. Okay, so basically the little notch there uh, of Massachusetts, that's that's Southwick, Massachusetts. Go up north from that. You will hit Westfield. And that is where I used to live when I was a kid. So when we uh, go to uh, the Shadow Dimension docuseries, That was part of the tale there. So, Bridgewater Triangle, you see on the map there, uh, covers an area roughly between Abington, Freetown, and Rehoboth, uh, Massachusetts. So, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman actually coined the term, of course, you know, kind of piggybacking on the uh, Bermuda Triangle, but it was an area that he was discovering. He's done a lot of uh, uh, research there, paranormal, supernatural, crypto. Uh, but he was discovering a lot of strange phenomenon there in the area. And so he was like, you know, we're going to call this the Bridgewater Triangle. He, he's been researching there since the 1970s. I like this clip here from this uh, this newspaper clipping because it, it shows you the area of the triangle and a number of the different sightings there. So the red-headed hitchhiker, um, the, uh, some of the different beans that have been seen around there's the uh the old state hospital which is supposed to be very haunted the middle is really the haka swamp uh that's kind of we mentioned earlier about how you know a lot of these areas seem to have water involved and the haka swamp would be that for the bridgewater triangle so it was it was known as a devil swamp to colonial settlers uh, people have spotted vicious dogs with red eyes. Here, a pterodactyl-like flying creature. Uh, Native American ghosts have been seen on the water in canoes, and glowing lights have been seen throughout the trees. Uh, also, you know, just like with any of these locations, except I guess probably the Bermuda Triangle, maybe the Dragon Triangle. Uh, you know, you have you know Bigfoot and Sasquatch uh, activity that's been reported. Also, extraterrestrial encounters. So there's one gentleman in uh, 1990. He reported encountering an extraterrestrial walking his dog down a road in Raynham. And to give you an idea where Raynham is, I'll toss this map back up. And so, uh, if you look at the dot in the center of that triangle, uh, just go diagonally, uh, basically go northeast, <laughs> and and there you have Raynham. And so he was just uh, you know, walking walking his dog down the road and the dog started whimpering and as they passed under a street light he noticed up ahead a strange creature on two legs Uh, It was about three to four feet tall was hairy had no clothes but had large eyes and a pot belly and he was uttering some cryptic words and beckoning the man to come uh later on the man and the thing ended up disappearing um or I'm sorry, he ended up uh, walking away with his dog. He couldn't understand what the heck was going on. But he ended up figuring out that the creature was saying, we want you come here. So that's one of many uh, ET sightings in the area. And there's also the uh, the hitchhiker story. So red-headed hitchhiker along Route 44 in Seekonk. Uh supposed to be a very, very haunted road. It's a man with long red hair, with a very full red beard as well. He's been spotted several times walking along the road, but when motorists stop to pick him up, he disappears. So this is that kind of ghostly vagabond type story. Uh, when we've covered when we've covered other topics like hauntings along Route sixty six, uh, you get this story a lot. Uh, Oklahoma has uh, one that I've discussed several times, where the uh, yeah, he, he's walking down the road between um, El Reno and, uh, oh my gosh, what is it? Uh, I can't remember. It's it's weather or something, weather. Uh, in any case, across that stretch of Route 66, this ghostly vagabond has been seen walking along the side of the road. Uh, he's jumped out in front of cars. He's gotten into cars with people, ends up disappearing, so Similar type story there. All right. So I've mentioned it before. We're going to talk about the Dragon Triangle. Uh, This is basically stretches from Japan to the Bonin Islands and then deep into the Philippine Sea. Uh, So it's a very, very large stretch of water. Uh, It would kind of rival the size of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, Alaska Triangle might be bigger. I know when I did my interview last week, I ended up saying it was a huge stretch of uh, water. (laughs) So, uh, but this is one that's very, very ancient, has a lot of old tales associated with it. Uh, It goes all the way back to 1000 BC, where the Chinese had fables about ships uh, traveling into this area that there were dragons under the water and the dragons would up in the ships and then devour the the people so that's why it's called uh the dragon's triangle it's also called the devil's sea in the 13th century uh you had kublai khan who was grandson of genghis khan twice twice this 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 guy twice he tried to invade japan sending a fleet into the waters in both times the entire fleet was destroyed by typhoons that had kicked up so you want to talk about bad luck yeah you you know it's it's bad enough you send one fleet out toward Japan into the waters and a typhoon kicks up and wipes it out okay bad luck um uh, we're gonna do it again let's get some more troops get some more boats we're gonna do this again and it happens again ah oh, poor guy. I say poor guy, but you know, why was he uh, you know, invading Japan? So it's yeah, you know, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Not good for those you know, forty-four thousand people that died, though. Unfortunately, got some uh, questions here. Okay, so Victoria, are there underwater volcanoes near the Dragon's Triangle? Well, yeah, you know, there is some volcano volcanic activity around Japan. Of course, there's volcanic activity, um, in a lot of those, uh, South Pacific islands. So yeah, it's going to be there. Uh, we, we know that Japan gets hit with some, you know, awful earthquakes. I mean, we had one with the, uh, you know, that, you know, really damaged the nuclear reactor and, you know, nuclear waste has been, you know, all over the ocean, even coming over to the United States from that accident. So they get a lot of that sort of thing too, again, with the volcanic seismic uh, activity. Uh, So yes, absolutely. So um, other things going on in the Dragon's Triangle. So this this is sad. Um, During the 1940s, 1950s, there were a number of fishing ships, military ships venturing into the area and then just disappearing, nobody hearing from them again. And so you had these stories dating back into the 1800s of this ghostly woman who was drifting along the waters in her boat in, uh, in that area. And it was she who was taking down these ships. So those are the local legends. So what the Japanese government did, because yes, these, these different uh, fishing boats and what have you, uh, military ships were going missing. So they sent out an investigative team. The boat was maru number five. They had nine scientists on board this thing, as well as the 22 crew members. They are going to go out and research this, going to investigate it. They go out into the waters. A couple hours later, never heard from again. It, lose contact, don't know what happened. The only thing that's found is some wreckage from the ship that ends up washing up. That's it. So even the investigative ship goes out into the area with scientists aboard, and they get laid waste, too. The Japanese government declared that area of the the Dragon Triangle dangerous for navigation. So they were warning people off, "Don't, don't go there. We don't know what happens out there, but don't go there because we even sent out a specific team to get on this and to investigate it. And they went missing. So it's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle story with, you know, the search and rescue crew. The search and rescue went missing. Here in the Dragon Triangle, you have the investigative crew going out. They go missing. So this bizarre, bizarre stuff happens a lot. All right, we're finally gonna get to uh, Tom's. I don't know if we can get to the Nevada one, but I know Tom's been waiting for Lake Michigan. So let's get to the Lake Michigan triangle here. So uh, this stretches from um, Ludington, uh, Michigan to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and then across the lake to Manitowoc, Wisconsin a uh, lot a lot of strange things have uh happened in this area you know and it's it's funny when i was in um uh janesville wisconsin for the the expo there uh week and a half ago selling my alaska triangle book discussing it oh the triangle there's there's more than just the bermuda triangle yes 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 in fact the closest is the Lake michigan triangle you're right next to it <laughs> um so you can see janesville on the map there on the uh, on the west, so that's where the uh, the Expo was at. Uh, but yeah, it it hits there right at Manitowoc, Wisconsin. and the is mostly on the Michigan side. But again, a lot of strange things. Uh, really dates back to a disappearance of Thomas Hume and his crew back in 1891. They uh, set sail in their schooner. There's, there's your photo of a schooner from that era. Uh, and they were never seen again. Don't know if they sank. Uh, no wreckage of the boat was ever found. Didn't wash up anywhere. No bodies were ever found. Nothing. They just completely disappeared into thin air. Never heard from nor seen again. In 1921, there was the, the boat called the Roosevelt. And this was found overturned in the lake. All 11 of the crew were missing. The ship had observable damage. In fact, here's the uh, wreckage. Uh, As as if it had been struck by another ship. But no other ship was reported uh, or had reported any sort of accident. And no other wreck had been found. So if it ran into another ship, uh, nobody was fessing up. No other ship had damage commiserate with running into the Rosabelle, and um, there there was no other wreck. So it's not like another ship sank. That was nineteen twenty-one. So then we have the uh, the McFarland. This is nineteen thirty-seven. This is a really really strange story. Uh, the person in question of of this particular story was captain george donner they're on their way back they're almost back to port he lied down to rest after navigating his ship through icy waters and then just basically evaporated out of his room um as the as they were nearing the port the crew went to wake up captain donner as he had requested he said you know come wake me up when we're getting near to port but his door was locked it banged on it, banged on it, banged on it. Uh, no answer. Crew broke down the door, and he was gone. Just completely had disappeared. No no knowledge of what in the world ever happened. It was like he disappeared in the thin air. Lies down to rest. Crew wakes, goes to wake him up, and he's gone. Then there's the big one. Uh, 1950 Northwest Airlines flight 2501. Uh, carrying 58 passengers, vanished over Lake Michigan. Uh, it, there was a storm. Uh, they did report a severe electrical storm, which they stated was lashing the lake with high-velocity winds. Uh, the The plane, they, descend, they descended down to 3,500 feet because of the storm. Uh, they were trying to stay under it. Uh, two hours after, after the final transmission, again, they never heard from again, never seen again, nothing. No wreckage. They don't know what happened to it. Uh, but two hours after the final transmission, two police officers reported witnessing a strange red light hovering over Lake Michigan for about 10 minutes before it disappeared. And this is an area which they, they get a lot of these reports of these strange lights like this. Uh, they've been reported there for like 100 years. You know, we, we talk about... You know, UFO sightings and things like that go back, you know, before Roswell. Lake Michigan is an area that has reported, you know, strange lights and UFO type phenomenon, you know, far before Roswell. And so one of the ideas is perhaps there was some sort of UFO activity that interfered with this flight. We go back to the Alaska Triangle, that missing Douglas airplane that we saw in the clip. Just before, a couple of days beforehand, and a couple of days afterhand afterward, reported UFO sightings in Alaska. The first one was Kodiak, which was beforehand, which was very very significant one. Uh, involved the Navy, and then there was another one a couple of days later reported by uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base. So and the question becomes, what's powering this? Now this is this is fascinating about uh, Lake Michigan, is the. Lake Michigan Stonehenge or Michigan, the Michigan Stonehenge. So this is a set of standing stones that uh, was found in 2007 under the water. It's about under 40 feet of water. Uh, so it's not in that deep of water, kind of uh, offshore a little ways. And they are in a alignment very similar to that of Stonehenge itself. So, you know, hence Michigan Stonehenge. I mean, they're standing stones, so they're always going to call it a Stonehenge these days. Uh, but you can see, you know, looking at the photos here, they're not particularly big, uh, but they're still significant in the fact that, you know, it's it has that similar alignment. A lot of these uh, hinges are astronomically aligned. Again, we've talked about them tapping into those uh, those telluric currents, those uh, you know those energy lines to to use the energy for, for different purposes. And the hinges don't have to be very large. I mean, we think of stone hinge, you know, the, uh, very, you know, tall, massive stones, but then you look at a, uh, uh a stone hinge you know, hinge is not, uh, is, I don't want to say this, uh, is not all inclusive to the Stonehenge site. Um, you know, a hinge is basically, you know, the circle. In fact, uh, usually it's a it's a depression. Uh, you have wood hinges, you have earth hinges, and then you have Stonehenge. But uh, one that is actually older than Stonehenge is Napta Playa. Uh, when we covered Egypt, uh, we saw those Napta Playa stones, and they are small. Now there's a couple of larger ones, but most of them are very very small, so they don't have to be these huge you know, ornate massive blocks of stone. When they are massive and huge like that, it makes us wonder, okay, how did they erect these? Um, but you know, these in Michigan, again, you know, having a similar alignment to to Stonehenge, they estimate them to be about ten thousand years old. Um, so that kind of adheres more toward like Gobekli Tepe time frame, you know, we have the, you know, mainstream, again, trying to tell us, well, you know, they didn't do these things, you know, that long ago. You know, show us where else in the world they're doing it. Well, go back Gobekli Tepe, you have the Lake Michigan, uh, Stonehenge here. There were people that were doing these things. So if we know that the ancients were tapping into these, uh, to these different sites to be able to harness that energy, then yes, that energy is there under Lake Michigan. Uh, and is you know likely affecting a, a lot of this strange phenomenon that is happening there out in the water. So let me check questions and comments. Um, Tom, when was the last disappearance in any triangle? Uh, well, it depends on what type of disappearance you are talking about. So, you know, is it ship, plane, people? People go missing in the Alaska Triangle all the time. Is it because of the forces of the triangle is kind of the question, Uh, you know, because again, I mentioned the critics at the very beginning of the show, and some of them have uh, thrown out there that, uh, well, you know, the the author or Mike is, you know, attributing, you know, all the missing people to the forces of the triangle. No, 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 not all. You're not going to say 16,000 people went missing since 1988, just solely On the forces of the Alaska Triangle, they all went through a portal. There are plenty of people that got lost in the woods, that got eaten by a bear, that got kidnapped, whatever it was. Plenty of them like that. 16,000 is a very, very significant number for Alaska. Um, The entire population of Alaska is just under the population of San Francisco. So... And the number sixteen thousand is a pretty big number for, you know, even a large state like all of California, uh, but for a small state like Alaska, that number is huge. You know, just the the ratio there is, is kind of off the charts. Um, so people go missing there all the time. Uh, you we'd still have you know things you know like missing places like the Malaysia flight there a few years back just vanished, gone. Where did it go? So it's in, that's very disconcerting that even in this day and age where you have GPS and, you know, the satellite technology and all of this stuff and a plane can just still go missing one in the blink of an eye. So it's still, it definitely still happens. Victoria had to take off. Have a good night, Victoria. And we are really you know, down here at the, uh, the end of our broadcast anyway. So, um, so we skipped the Nevada triangle, but there, there is a Nevada triangle, um, which do I have the map here? I I think I actually forgot to grab that map for the, uh, for the Nevada triangle anyway. So, but, but that one is, uh, quite unusual anyways. It's, it's not just in Nevada stretches into California as well. And a lot of planes go down, within the mountains because of something they call a gravity wave, uh, between the mountains that would just kind of sucks the planes down. Very bizarre stuff. Um, but then you have a lot of these other strange, you know, you paranormal activity, Sasquatch sighting, things like that going on there as well. So giants, you know, <laughs> uh, bring out our, our buddy, uh, James Keenan to talk about that stuff. So. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Again, those that are listening to this later on the podcast version, please come out and join us during the week, Wednesdays, 8 o'clock p.m. for the live presentation. You get to watch the full uh, slideshow. You get to watch the video clips. You get to ask your questions, interact with it, with the rest of the class. It's ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your week. Till next time if time really exists.